obesity treatment is not a one size fits all. It really does have to be personalized to each individual, where they are, what resources they have, you know, what all is going on in their lives at that particular time. Welcome to The Work In Between, the podcast that explores the topics and daily habits and actions that get us to our goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, improve your mental or emotional health, or working on your spiritual journey, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds and began transforming my life inside and out. I'm living my best life, and I want you to live yours, too. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes. This is The Work in Between. Having been overweight almost my entire life, one of the things I dreaded the most was going to the doctor. No offense to doctors, but getting on that scale caused a lot of anxiety. It was never good news, and I knew we were going to have to talk about my weight again. In fact, that's part of the reason I avoided going to the doctor at all. If I thought the conversation was going to be productive, that's one thing, but it never was. Mostly, I would hear, eat less, move more, which to me was code for do what you want, I give up. It's hopeless. You're hopeless. What I've realized is that we have to change the conversation around weight loss and behavior change. Patients are frustrated, and so are providers. My goal today is to do just that, start changing the conversation and provide some new ways to approach an often stressful and emotional topic. Today, I'm talking with Nkechi Onyagasi, who has been working as a nurse practitioner since 2013. She earned her doctorate in nursing practice in 2023 and has a certificate of advanced education from the Obesity Medicine Association. Her doctoral studies focused on enhancing obesity management in primary care. She currently lives in Texas, where she continues to help patients become the healthiest versions of themselves. Today, we're going to talk about a much-needed change in the conversation around obesity and provide some valuable tips on how to have a more productive conversation with your provider and how providers can have a more productive conversation with their patients. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. I have been looking forward to talking with you for a while. This topic is very near and dear to my heart. And one of the reasons, actually, I wanted to even start this podcast. So I find this timely, and I knew you were the perfect person to have this conversation with. I'm so excited to be here. All right. Well, let's get started. So you've been a nurse practitioner for 10 years. When and why did you become interested in obesity management specifically? My interest in obesity management started fairly recently over the last three, four years. And this happened because one of the challenging diseases that I had to treat was diabetes. As we all know, obesity is a precursor to diabetes. And I figured why 
focus so much on diabetes when we can focus on a disease that if we can treat obesity, we can prevent diabetes by itself. So I just developed this interest in learning more about it, treating it, and actually addressing it as a disease and not just as a symptom. I like that a lot. I think sometimes, well, not even sometimes, I think very often, in fact, the way our healthcare system is set up, what we are able to focus on is later stage diseases instead of prevention. The emphasis is always on treatment versus prevention. So I really like that you are trying to prevent diabetes, which once we get diabetes, it's a much more complicated situation than if we are focusing on obesity, which on its own merits are very complicated. We know it's not just about eating less and moving more. It's more complex than that. But as we all know, obesity and diabetes are on the rise. And on the whole, we don't seem to be doing a very good job of managing it. So what are some of the challenges you've seen from both the patient side and the practitioner side? Starting from the patient side, you brought up a very good point about patients just coming into a doctor's office and getting on a scale. We have to make patients feel comfortable coming in. We put those skills out in the hallways, first of all, and we're saying out their weights for everybody else on the hallway to hear. That's the first stage where they feel as if it's not a safe environment for them. So we do have to make some changes in our family practice clinics, first of all, you know, just ensuring privacy and, you know, providing bariatric chairs in the waiting room. So that is one challenge for patients for sure. And when they do embark obesity on changing their obesity-related habits, food insecurity is a problem for a lot of patients, you know, because unhealthier foods, more accessible and more affordable for patients versus healthy foods. So that is a challenge for sure. You know, living in unsafe areas where they're not able to walk around the neighborhoods or no access to parks and all for activity is another challenge for patients and or just not having enough knowledge you know not a lot of insurance companies are approving referrals for nutritional consults or I personally feel like gym memberships should be covered by insurance but that's my <laughs> that's I, my personal view I uh, agree with you 100% <laughs> I do and then when it comes to the providers cha- several challenges exist for them as well not every provider has that comfort level to first of all, have the conversation about weight because you don't want to offend some patients. So you don't really know how to bring it up. And that is where training comes in because you can learn about the five A's of obesity management. And those five A's are ask, assess, advise, and agree and assist. So the first thing you can do is ask right? Just ask the patient, is it okay if we talk about your weight today? And if they don't want to, you know, it's as easy as them saying no, right? So So let me ask you right there, because I'm familiar with the five A's. I think I would have responded so much differently if a physician or a nurse had said, Gretchen, are you okay with having a conversation about your weight today? Are you up for it? I think it's an important conversation, but asking permission in a way, which I think is kind of counterintuitive to a lot of healthcare providers, because I think they feel they have the right to have that conversation without asking permission. 
that would be a significant sea change, right? So I love that you brought that up. And I think that's truly is a place that we need to start in changing that conversation, which is it turns into a conversation where both parties agree to have the conversation instead of just this one-way directional, I'm going to bring this conversation up, this topic up, whether you are open to it or feel like you want to have this conversation or not. So I love that you brought that up. And speaking of being open to it, another thing that providers should be able to do is find out what stage patients are in their behavioral change process. We have several stages. We have the pre-contemplation stage. We have the contemplation stage. We have the preparation, action, and maintenance stages as well. If patients, if you detect that they are in the pre-contemplation stage, that is not a time to start having a conversation. The first two stages, the pre-contemplation and contemplation, are possibly times to say, hey, I have this handout for you to read about this. If you are interested, we can have a conversation when you are ready. So it is important to find out if they do want to have that conversation and where they are at having that conversation. Because again, you don't want to invest time if they're not ready. So it is important to find that out, find out where they are. So gaining that knowledge and expertise is important for providers and just understanding the complexity of obesity as a disease. Time, unfortunately, is another challenge for providers because, you know, worse patients are scheduled for 15-minute time slots majority of the time. And 15 minutes is barely enough to scratch the surface, let alone finding out exactly what patients are going through and how you can help them. So lots of challenges exist for sure for both providers and patients. Which means we have to take advantage of the time we have. I'm familiar with stages of change, but to, I think, put it in perspective, if a patient is not even thinking that they have a weight problem or need to do anything about their weight, to go at that from a direction of, well, you do have a weight problem, and this is what I want you to do about it, is not going to produce any activity because they haven't even thought about it yet. You think they have a weight problem. Maybe the numbers dictate that they do, or their A1C is starting to climb, so you can see that there's a problem. But if they have not even begun to think that there is a problem at all, you kind of set yourself up to be really frustrated from the provider side because you're about to have this conversation and they're not going going to do anything about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is why those initial questions matter, you know, just finding out where they are finding out what baseline knowledge they have as well. Because like you said, they may just not be aware at all and have no knowledge at all versus someone else that has more awareness and has done some personal research on their own, you know. And that is why obesity treatment is not a one-size-fits-all. It really does have to be personalized to each individual, where they are, what resources they have, you know, what all is going on in their lives at that particular time. That is so true. I know that we all think we start making changes when we're ready, when we hit bottom, when things happen that finally put us in that headspace where we believe we might have the resources, the motivation, the access, the the reasons to even make any of these changes. But it's so different for everybody. You know, if you think about lung cancer, 
You would think enough of us have watched people die of lung cancer from smoking. And yet I see smokers in my own family who still haven't quit smoking. So it's not just being around somebody who has fought that and lost that fight. It is, they still go on smoking. So, but others, they see a loved one suffer through lung cancer and die from it, and they never pick up another cigarette. And so the same thing when diabetes is so prevalent and we watch our loved ones get diagnosed, lose their eyesight, lose a limb, go on dialysis. There's a lot of genetics working here. So we watch those things. And some people like me, it really motivated me to make some changes because when I was diagnosed, it scared me because I'd been watching my brother suffer from the effects of diabetes. He'd lost a leg. He was on dialysis. He ultimately ended up passing away. That was the last straw for me. And I never looked back. And then I know other, lots of other people who watch the same things happen in their families. And yet there is no awareness that they need to do anything or they're just not interested. So you are so right when you say it is not a one size fits all. Nobody is going to be ready at the same time with the same factors. I wish it were that easy, but yeah. it's not. And that is part of our job as providers is to dig in, to find out the why behind patients' motivation or to find ways to motivate them. You know, just ask questions about their family history, about their past, about what changes how losing some weight or being more active, how that can change the quality of your life. Is it, do you think you can spend more time with your grandkids? Do you think you would be able to participate in your hobbies a little better? You know, just really asking those questions, just digging a little deeper and helping them understand how that can change their lives. That's very important. So I'm glad you brought that up. I often think that a really good question to ask a patient would be, is there anything that you would like to do that you're unable to do because of your weight? Because even if they say, nope, I'm fine, you know they're going to think about that when they leave that office and wonder, wow, am I really kind of self-censoring? Because I never thought that I was limiting my life because I was so overweight. But in retrospect, I was constantly opting out of things that I knew I couldn't do. That question alone, I think, will get patients starting to think, well, wait a minute, maybe there are some things I'd like to do that I can't do, huh? And that starts moving them along those stages of change. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a very good one. I know you recently did a study where you worked with some of your patients by adding an intensive counseling component to obesity treatment, and I know you found some promising results. So what did you do, and why do you think you found some promising results at this point? As part of my doctorate study, my goal was to implement behavioral counseling, which is the gold standard for obesity treatment. I wanted to show how implementing this change can help with weight loss and to determine how not just weight loss, how it affects their quality of life of patients, how it even affects blood pressure, waist circumference was another thing I was checking as well. And it's funny, they just brought up this question about because of my weight, I am unable to do 
That is actually one of the questions that was asked in the obesity quality of life questionnaire that I used in the study. So I started out with about 36 patients. We, I had them fill out obesity quality of life questionnaires and self-efficacy for exercise questionnaires. And I checked their vitals and, you know, just really spent time with them at that visit, probably at least an hour with each patient said that initial visit, just asking a lot of these questions that we've talked about here and even some more, um, you know, just, and then setting some smart goals with them. Smart goals or goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So just setting at least three goals with them. And these goals are something that I continue to touch base with them on every two weeks. Every two weeks, I would call them and say, hey, how are you doing meeting your goals? Do we need to make any changes? What are your challenges? What are your successes? How can I support you through this? Depending on how soon they started the project, I met with this patients on an average of about eight to 12 weeks. At the end of my study, I had pretty significant results at an average of 2.2 kilogram weight loss on average and about two inches were lost on their waist circumference. And they had pretty significant changes. Their scores changed significantly on their self-efficacy for exercise and their obesity quality of life. And I attribute that to just the close follow-ups that they had because I was able to touch base with them every two weeks. Most times we see patients in clinic maybe once every three months or once every month at the max. So I think that close follow-ups helped a lot with patients, you know, just providing that personalized care to them. Dietary recommendations were specific to their needs. You know, if your concerns are more about inflammation, Mediterranean diet was a better fit for you. And I used when making recommendations for physical activity and diet, I considered what they had going on, you know, just really focusing on what they had going on, what their specific goals were. So I think that was the success of the project. And of course, it wasn't, it wasn't all pretty. I ended up with only 23 people following through at the end. I think the reason that I had such a dropout rate was because I was the one actively saying, hey, do you want to join my study? They didn't come after me. Right. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think the results would have been um, even a little, even better if patients had sought me out and said, listen, I want to do this. I'm ready to do this. I think that is something that is important. And we kind of addressed that too in the beginning because the, you know, patients do have to be ready, right? They do have, it has to be their call. I agree. And what I liked about your study is that you did bring in that intensive counseling component. I have had a weight problem my entire life, and I've been having a lot of conversations with healthcare providers. And at no point did one ever suggest that I talk to anybody about what was going on in my life that would help maybe figure out why I had a weight problem. Because we know being obese or, or overweight is a symptom of something else that's going on, right? It's how we are or why we are self-soothing with food or why we turn to food when we do. 
I find it interesting that would has never been an option. It's never been provided as an alternative. I maintain most people who are morbidly obese don't particularly want to be. And there's obviously something going on. In many cases, there was an earlier trauma. There were some things that happened that this was how they respond to life. But I'd never been asked about any of that either. And so I do think one of the areas that we need to change in the conversation around obesity is that conversation that we're talking about. Let's start with not just the number on the scale. Let's talk about what's going on. Have you ever, in fact, one of the a question I nobody's ever asked me either is, has there ever been a time in your life where you were at a healthy weight? And if so, when was it and what happened? Nobody's ever asked me that either, because yeah. I think when people who have weight problems come in to see physicians or nurses or whomever, they look at that number, they diagnose you based on your BMI. And then they say, okay, now we've got to address that number. Well, the number is the least of the problems here. The, the problem is everything that's come before it. We Changing that conversation is and focusing on what's happened before, I think will get us a lot farther. Now, I understand we're limited with 15 minutes. But you don't have to have the entire conversation in the first setting, but right. we can start it. And that would lead to building some rapport and building some trust. And if you add moving that scale to a more private spot in the clinic, I think we would start off in such a better place. I'm so glad you brought that up because it makes me absolutely crazy. Because <laughs> when you walk in the room, you are weighing yourself in front of everybody and it always has big red numbers so everybody could see it. So I agree with you. I think we'd go a long way if we would do that. Gretchen, you brought up a very good point about, you know, creating that trust and rapport among patients because, you know, a lot of people have tried, you know, they have gone through events and, and circumstances that have gotten them to where they are and hopelessness is a thing, you know, just feeling discouraged and hopeless and not feeling supported is really a strong barrier to achieving your goals. So, and so you want to know that whoever you're speaking to actually is listening, actually is not judging, actually is trying to help. And, you know, brings me to the point of, about us as providers also examining ourselves and realizing what biases that we have related to obesity and clearing that out and just having the patients know that we are here to help them. And I really think that communication is the disconnect. A lot of the times is while the providers think that they're giving some advice, right? They're saying exercise and diet. You're saying that, right? And just like you said, what the patient is hearing is completely different, you know? I mean, that open communication, that honest communication, patients really just being able to express themselves without fear of judgment and providers on their end just being open and being receptive and being helpful and not judging and actually assisting, you know, and not just dictating. That is important. Yes, absolutely. So I'm wondering, 
since we've made a lot of really good recommendations, I think, for providers, what suggestions do you have for patients? Because it's a two-way street. This is a dyad, right? This is a partnership. Mm -hmm. What do patients need to do? What can they do to make this a more productive conversation from their side? I'm glad you mentioned the word partnership. It is a definitely a two-way street. Fortunately, providers cannot wave the wand and just solve all the problems. Patients do have to take some ownership on their end, you know, and really just just making that daily effort to commit to prioritize their health and prioritize the healthier lifestyle every day. And part of the questions that I ask my patients when we start on a weight management plan is how do you handle setbacks? Because that is a thing, you know, setbacks are inevitable. So just encouraging them, patients staying encouraged to, yes, setbacks do happen, but we want to get up, right? We want to keep moving every day is a new day and a chance to start over. And, you know, just also being engaged, you know, those follow-ups are important as overwhelming as it may be to continue to see a provider and go get on the scale at each visit. But, you know, just being open to that, you know, so taking ownership, following up and staying engaged and, you know, being honest, you know, really just opening up, verbalizing your struggles and, you know, just really being vulnerable, I think does help with this for sure. There are disorders that are associated with obesity, you know, binge eating and all patients may need some additional help outside of what the provider can provide, what the family care provider can provide. They might need some referral to nutrition, referral to psychiatrists or psychology. So really just opening up and stating those things so that they can get the help that they need is Those are all such important suggestions. And I think something we forget about as patients, we need to be honest. We need to be engaged. We can't just be passive. We have to be active. And I think we also have to make sure that we let people know when we're maybe a little uncomfortable and want to have additional conversations later. And that's okay, but we have to speak up. Right. Uh, These have been fantastic recommendations. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is a really important conversation and one I'm sure we will continue. Hopefully you'll join me again so we can continue this discussion around such an important topic. A quick reminder that this podcast will be available on my website, GretchenHolmesPhD.com. Make sure you check it out. You'll find some valuable resources along with my previous podcasts. Feel free to drop me a line if you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. Finally, from me to you, remember to love and celebrate yourself now, today. Don't wait until you feel worthy. You already are. Loving yourself is the only way to good health. Until next time. The information on this podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. 